with SBS Radio. Listeners are warned content in this podcast may be confronting or distressing. My name is Rachel Perkins. Um, my skin name is Inguare. I'm from the Ilma clan group of northern Arunda people on my father's mother's side and on my father's father on Kalkadoon. Queensland and I'm also German and Irish and I'm the director and producer and presenter of the new documentary series The Australian Wars. Why did you want to set out and make this documentary series The Australian Wars Rachel? Oh look well I sort of didn't really want to make it to be really honest with you because it's such terrible history, hard history you know but I did feel compelled to do it as well, you know? Like I thought, well, if there's one thing I've got to do, it's this story and um, it needs to be done, you know, and and, and I'll give everything to do it. So it, it's strangely, in some ways, it's the last thing I wanted to do, but it's the thing I most wanted to do at the same time. How many years did it take you to make this film, Rachel? Um, about four years. It's meant to take two and it took four. <laughs> mm-hmm. So um, it just, you know, sometimes things have their own, they just demand to be, you know, like we edited for a year, you know, a year mm. of editing. Um, it just took that long to, um, you know, deal with the content and the material and finesse it. But, you know, and even then it was just the tip of the iceberg, you know, in terms mm. of... Um, the stories that are there um, that should be told. So, yeah, we really just, you know, yeah, it's the tip of the iceberg. And really difficult subject matter to watch for many of us mob, eh, Rachel? Yeah, really, really, really hard, you know? It's, um, and I think that's the thing in, in making it, you know, like you feel some satisfaction in telling the story, but it doesn't give... You know, it can never give justice to those people who were involved. And, um, you know, that justice we're still seeking in many ways today. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's tricky. It's, it's, it's hard. It's hard history, you know, but warfare is. And, you know, you have to face these, um, face these truths. And for a lot of our people, you know, we've been carrying these stories on behalf of the nation for far too long. You know, this is a story that the nation needs to um, really embrace and take responsibility for too, you know. And what was it like for you personally making this whole documentary series, three-part series, Rachel? Yeah, it was pretty tough, Um, uh, but, you know, like not tough compared to what people went through back then, you know. Mm. (laughs) So, but it's hard reading through the records. really hard you know and and because uh, the brutality was so extreme mm. um and also the odds were so stacked against aboriginal people i think our mob and but you know there's incredible stories that make you feel extremely proud about the choices that our people made and um how they adapted and you know 
um, to what was going on in their worlds. And um, so there was incredible strength there. And I think, you know, talking from an Aboriginal perspective, um, you know, we have a lot to be proud of uh, the way that our people, you know, defended their lands and um, how they tried to stand in the face of, you know, the most powerful empire in the world. <laughs> and it's a story that Australians more broadly can be proud of, you know, that, um, that uh, you know, the first Australians fought for their country um, over such a long period of time. And what do you hope audience members will get out of watching this uh, series, The Australian Wars? Well, I think most people, like often we have in our own communities, Indigenous people and non-Indigenous people, they know the localised story of frontier conflict and what happened in their region, but they don't necessarily have a grasp of the full picture. And, and this series doesn't claim to tell the full picture, but it does try and tell the broad brushstrokes of how the um, warfare that happened here was uh, a part of a bigger picture of imperialism. Um, that it was part of, you know, the British Empire's um, expansion, global expansion, how they did it in other places, how they were expert at it, um, how the, you know, the governments of today uh, continue, you know, <laughs> in, in being responsible for what happened in the past. Um, and I think for people who didn't learn anything about it at school, I think it'll be a, a real revelation. Mm. Um, because like I didn't learn anything about this in school, right? I'm, I'm older now, I'm 52. I think the education system has changed hugely since I went to school. Um, but I still think the level of understanding is pretty, pretty low. And I suppose I want people to think deeply about the past and, and now how we deal with it now because that history has shaped where we are right now. Mm. And, um, you know, we can, we, can do, we can do stuff about what happened back then. We can, we can change the paradigm in this country and that's, that's our, in our hands to do so. So I want people to be inspired and stimulated and to, you know, become active. All right, let's have a yarn about episode three, Rachel. And yeah. you visited Ghana country in the first part of episode three. Can you tell us about that? SBS were very keen for us to go to every Australian jurisdiction, right? <laughs> and, you know, in three hours of television, telling more than 100 years of history, it's very hard to do that. Um, but I felt that it was important to go to Ghana country uh, where the occupation of South Australia first occurred because it was done, it, well, it was meant to be done differently in South Australia. You know, they were meant to negotiate over access to Aboriginal land. That was in the letters patent that set up the colony of South Australia. And, of course, that was just totally ignored, you know, and people are still fighting for native title in South Australia today. Um, and the rest of the country. And so I felt that it was important to point out that in South Australia, it could have been done differently, you know, but again, greed got in the way. You know, they knew by then, they knew that Aboriginal people were connected to land. They knew that there was going to be violence if there wasn't some allocation of land to Aboriginal people, but the colonists just went along and disregarded that again. 
you know. And this was 50 years after they'd been in Sydney, you know. So they knew, they knew that Aboriginal people um, were connected to their country and they knew what would happen. So I thought it was important to highlight that. We didn't, you know, spend as much time in South Australia looking at the history there that I would have liked, nor did we do that in really the Northern Territory um, or Torres Straits at all. So, you know, there's a lot that's left out. Um, so that was one of the frustrations actually in making the show, the, the amount of material that we had to lift out, you know, leave out because it's just yeah. really touching the surface. You also visited Gunditjmara country where they were fierce fighters back in the day, Rachel. Well, they're known as the fighting Gunditjmara, like same mm. with our mob, the Kalkaroon, the fighting Kalkaroon. And yeah, I mean, people, that's the thing, like Blackfellas used their advantages. So in Gunditjmara country, you know, they have Bajibim, which is that old volcanic mountain and the place is covered in, it's called stone country or they call it the Stony Rises. And so, yeah, Gunditjmara used that to retreat to, like a fortress, really. And um, it meant that they could hold out much longer um, mm. than people, say, in Gippsland, who, you know, were really viciously um, overtaken there by Scottish colonists. You know, so, um, yeah, that's just one story from Victoria. And... Um, but an important story uh, because that's where, of course, the native police were first used in Australia. You also, in the episode, visit Queensland and um, a site um, where you speak with Uncle Patrick Malone about Cullen Laringo. Yeah, well, Cullen Laringo was, um, I think, 17 white people were killed there. Mm. And um, I think it's the second largest, maybe third largest. Well, in the frontier warfare, it was the second largest killing of white people. And by then, you know, the Queensland Parliament was established. They'd already brought in a native police force because, of course, they'd had one in northern New South Wales fighting the Gamilaroi um, people there. And so when Queensland came into being, they introduced a native police force. Of course, the Parliament of Queensland was totally dominated by Queensland pastoralists. So they had a real interest in, you know, um, fighting local Queensland Aboriginal people for their land, basically. So yes, they uh, fought in the native police force and uh, after those non-Indigenous people were massacred and they just slaughtered everybody left, right and centre for years afterwards um, in, in hundreds of kilometres. Uh, area so and it really hardened that massacre of white people really hardened the conviction of the Queensland Parliament and the Queensland public that a police force was necessary a native police force which was there only to protect the settlers that's really what its main job to do was and also protect um, the gold rush when that started later in Cape York yeah mm. Which brings us to the Kimberley region, which is also featured. And uh, Professor Henry Reynolds, of course, is featured in episode three. He said it was the most fastest and violent conquest um, with uh, 40 massacre sites in Kimberley alone. There he's talking about Northern Australia generally. So he's sort of saying, you know, once you get beyond the, you know, 1860s, 1870s, 
people mm. are moving into the Kimberley, they're moving into Central Australia, it's Northern Territory, what was then South Australia, but the north of the Northern Territory. They're moving into Cape York and that uh, occupation of the north is incredibly fast um, because people are moving huge um, stock across the top end and um, their pastoral they're taking up massive areas of pastoral land. Um, so huge areas of Aboriginal country. Um, and it's happening very fast. And of course, the weaponry is massively improved. And I think the other thing is that, you know, whitefellas are now being born in this country. They've, they've experienced Bushmen. You know, they've got a lot of the skills that Aboriginal, you know, defenders had. Mm. You know, they can live off the country and they can, they know Aboriginal roots and they're, they're hard men, you know. They're, they're, the people who were going out into the north of Australia around that time are really hard, brutal men, and they've often been fighting in other areas with Aboriginal people, so they come with experience. And also in episode three, um, featured is Rottnest Island and the history of the colonial prison um, built for Aboriginal people back in the day, which they built themselves, Rachel. That's right. And look, it started off as a sort of a, a, like a good idea, if you can have one. It's like, okay, we'll put these Aboriginal prisoners in a bush environment, right? You know, on this island. But it ended up being, you know, one of the largest places of incarceration of Aboriginal people. And indeed, one of the areas that have the biggest body count, you know, of burials. So, yeah, and if the, the, those warriors who weren't killed, you know, the fiercest warriors uh, who weren't killed in conflict, you know, or were not killed when they were on the chain because they used to chain Aboriginal men by their necks um, in the Kimberley uh, and the Northern Territory. Um, those that weren't killed on the chain were taken there. And, um, you know, that's nearly 3,000 kilometres away from the Kimberley. And sometimes when their term had expired, they'd just be released in Perth. Yeah. And there's these stories of people making it back to their country, you know, but we don't know how many made it back. We don't, you know, it's, you know, it's 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 hard to um, follow all the records of what happened to people afterward. But um, yeah, more than 400 people died there. So it's, um, it's, a, it's a, but it's actually Western Australia's largest income earning tourist site watch them up that island yeah right True. There. yeah so that's why it's all sort of a bit conflicted about what to do about it you know mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and how to recognize it yeah and of course also because so many people from so many different countries in terms of aboriginal nations went there you know it's a, it's an important place that affected many aboriginal people yeah So is it true that the Australian Wars lasted about 100 years, Rachel? Yeah, well, more than 100 years. So, you know, they were, you know, massacring people up here. I'm in Central Australia at the moment, back home in Alice Springs, and they were killing people. I think the Coniston Massacre was 1928. Yeah, and then in 
Western Australia, the Kimberley, you know, since 1929. So that's more than 100 years, yeah. But in some ways, you know, we're living still with the legacy of those, that war. Um, some people say it's not over. I mean, it's certainly not what it was, but there is still a battle over land that has not finished by any means. It's just shifted into the courtrooms. Also in the episode, we see you visit Canberra and you head along to the War Memorial. You did see a painting by the late Rover Thomas uh, about the Ruby Plains massacre. What was it like to see the painting? Well, the painting is a beautiful painting and it's, you know, uh, I went to Ruby Plains Station and I, I couldn't enter into the station because that's now owned by Gina Reinhardt and she doesn't allow filming. And actually I was standing at the gate of Ruby Plains Station and uh, we did some film, it didn't make the series, but you know, we filmed the sign and we filmed the gate, and, you know, we stood on the road outside and mm. I thought, God, isn't this a world away from the painting at the War Memorial? And um, so that's the thing about the Kimberley and those places, there's so many, um, so many of those cattle stations have infamous stories about massacres on them. Um, anyway, uh, yes, they have, at the War Memorial, they have two or three, um, references to the Australian wars. One is the painting. Two is a story about a, a man who, as a young child, was a survivor of the massacre. And then I think he went up and served in maybe the Air Force. And they have one other sort of monument outside, a contemporary monument by um, Daniel Boyd, which is meant to memorialise all people who died in conflict. That was his intention with that work. But... Mm. They also have a big gallery uh, to, dedicated to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people who have served, and that is appropriate and it is a great exhibition. Um, and it is an important institution, and I have deep respect for Australian people who've served in the Defence Force. It's the, it's, it's, I think until you serve, you might not even understand what that means. Um, it is an admirable thing to serve your country in the way that our people and all Australians do. So I have deep respect for that. However, I believe, and not all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people will, be, will agree with me, but I believe that that is the institution that has been established to acknowledge warfare, which Australians have experienced, and it might be with a British force, or it might be with colonialists, or it might be with the native police. Uh, I think that those things all qualify as warfare and that that should have a place in our national institution that memorialises war. Otherwise, it should be given a different name. It's that simple for me. Mm. Is it the Australian War Memorial? <laughs> mm. Or is it the Australian War Memorial for the Australian Defence Force that didn't begin until the late, you know, much later in Australia's history. I mean, it's 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 a bit of irony to me that we celebrate Australia Day on the 26th of January uh, and we say, oh, that's when the modern nation was born, right? But mm. in the War Memorial, we don't we we don't acknowledge any of the history that happened from 1788 to the 1880s. You know, it's like that's a blank canvas. So anyway. I find it contradictory and upsetting.
For any listeners who may have concerns, you can reach out to Lifeline on 131114. Want to hear more stories like this? Listen on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts from. 